0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Alami podcast, Change Your Company. We are live again on LinkedIn, and uh, my guest today is Stephen Gaffney. Uh, Stephen, welcome to the Alami podcast. Thank you, and thank you for having me on. I, uh, I'm very excited about our conversation. Uh, you've been working with, for over 25 years with large organizations, actually some of the top organizations in all kinds of industries, you are the author of four books and you are also finishing two books you just published one and your experience is so rich in terms of helping driving change management and creating high performing teams which would lead to uh, increase in the profit and the uh, revenue of, of organizations so I'm so curious to hear from you some of the lessons you learned throughout the years working with these organizations and helping them move upward and forward. So my first question, and maybe before I ask it, actually, I want to tell all, every, everyone who is watching us live, uh, please feel free to ask us a question, introduce yourself, or make comments or reflection about what we are sharing. What's your, some of the lessons you learned working with this big organization, which could be useful for any leader? Well,
1: the biggest lesson out of any size organization, and actually even in any relationship, the number one problem is lack of honest communication. Now, when people hear that, they get like, am I talking about ethics? And, And I'm not talking about ethics, and I'm not talking about the truth or lies and all that stuff, that heavy stuff. That's really not the biggest problem. The biggest problem what I mean by lack of honest communication is a certain element within that. The biggest problem is not what people say. It's actually what they don't say to each other. It's what they leave out. I mean, just think about it. How often have you thought I wish they would have told me if they just told me I could have done a lot better job. And people just don't say that. So leaders often think, and I, I was just with a group the other day and I said, you know, I pose this and they're like, their head is nodding because we hate being surprised or blindsided by things that we should have been known about. I've had people even use the strategies that I teach about how to get this unsaid said, um, I, even at home. And uh, in fact, I was talking to a, a client of mine uh, yesterday who used a strategy to turn around his whole teenage daughter situation. They had a horrible relationship and they turned it all around so my point is, whether it's at home or at work, the number one problem is lack of honest communication. So the key is to get that unsaid said.
0: And what I know from reflecting on relationships and challenges in relationships that when, when you have this problem in the, in the communication with time, things start to stack. And then at one point, it's almost like too late, basically, to do something about it. Right? Absolutely. Or it makes it really difficult. Years ago, there was a book called Crucial Conversations,
1: which I love the content, but the big problem is we don't want to have crucial conversations. You want to have everyday conversations. Whenever you have to have a big conversation, you got to ask yourself, how did we get there? And often Mm. it's because people avoid conflict. And the reason why is actually I have found it's not that people so much dislike conflict. What they're really afraid of is unresolved conflict. Let me just think about it. We all have people in our life that we don't – we're not afraid to debate or say, hey, we didn't like something. But then there's other people that we are really afraid because of their reaction, right? Have you ever had somebody say, oh, you can tell me anything. I I, I love feedback. I'm really open to it. And then you give them feedback and they flip <laughs> out.
0: And you're thinking to yourself, "Oh, I'm not going there again," you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Actually, actually, it happened with me once uh, with, a, yeah. with a senior leader. He's like, "Yeah, I need, I need you to be more open. I need to give, I need you to give me feedback." I was like, "Okay," and I gave him something, and he went crazy. I said, "Okay, this is the last time ever. I, I would say something." Yeah.
1: And it's interesting because, you know, just people from different cultures and different countries, I mean, it doesn't matter where we are. It's a state of being a human being that the problem is what people don't say to each other. And some people might say, well, I want to be polite. Well, we're talking about honesty, not brutality. So I'm with you. You want to be polite, but we still have to say that stuff. And we really have to ask ourselves, are we open? And if somebody's uh, listening to this or watching this and they're going, "Uh uh-oh, I get defensive, Well, go apologize. You know, just say, I'm sorry, and I'm going to try to do better, and then make sure we do better, make sure you do better. So the thing is, it's just about moving forward, but this leads to something that's really critical. The number one reason why people don't share things is fear, fear of retribution, fear the person's not going to forgive us, right, Um, or something along those lines. And at work, it's becoming, it's a huge problem because Um, we can unknowingly create fear. And the way to unknowingly create fear is I've often worked with executives and CEOs and even admirals, generals, all kinds of different levels. And sometimes they're great at creating openness, but they're allowing somebody on their team to uh, be defensive, self-righteous. I worked with a group where they had allowed a member of the group to not overtly be defensive, but their eyes would roll. So they wouldn't be that bad in a meeting verbally, but they're just... So people just shut down in a meeting, and after a while, they just didn't get that unsaid said. So sometimes we allow other people in our life to
0: create that culture, and we have to do something about that. Yeah. There is uh, one author uh, uh, who wrote a book, 12 Rules for Life, Jordan Peterson. Have you heard of this this guy? I, I have not. He's, he's... He's a psychologist. He, he has a code. He says, conflict not face is conflict multiplied. Say that again, conflict not... So, not faced, not oh, faced, like... is so multiplied. It's yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yep. Yeah. Or somebody and, and, once said, problems are
1: not like wine. They don't get better over time. <laughs> they always get worse. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> But tell us a little bit about uh, um, Unconditional Power. And this is the the, the title of your latest book, which will be published soon.
1: Yes, the book will be out soon. I'm not sure exactly when at this moment, but it's based on the work I'm already doing within companies. So what I've discovered is there are three types of moods or mindsets that people get into. The first type is powerless. And some people are in a powerless state, and you know that's happening when they say things like this. What difference can I make? I'm only one person here. I mean, what do you want me to do? I'm one. I know we have uh, 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 attrition issues, or recruitment, or growth problems, but I'm, you know, I'm only one person here. The second type is really where most people fall into, and that is conditional. And they're suffering from conditionalism. And conditional um, mindset or a mood is where. People say, I can do that as long as we get more resources, as long as we have more time, as long as this, as long as that department does this, as long as, as long as, as long as. There's always a condition. But the desirable trait, or the state of mind, I should say, and mood is powerful, to be unconditionally powerful. And uh, and we're in a powerful state. We recognize there's conditions. It's legitimate, right? There are certain um, challenges but we recognize that we're in charge of making this happen. So powerless state is the state of resignation. People are basically resigned and kind of just go with the flow and give up. Conditional is the state of excuses where you have people just go through excuses, but powerful state is the state of making it happen. And so what the whole book is about, and we can go through a lot of this is strategies about how for us to, because we can all slip in these states but how to maintain being in a powerful state. And as a leader, what's critical is to inspire others to get into that powerful state and to stay in that powerful state. And the book is all about, and content we can go through, and what I've been teaching, is strategies about how to inspire others and keep people in that powerful state, hence being unconditionally powerful.
0: That's uh, that's a great concept, and in a way it's aligned with some of my work where I call it like empowered at work, like how to empower your people at work. And uh, actually, I just done workshop with a, a team, an organization in Netherlands, and we were we were talking about this, which is they 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 were looking at some of the areas which they want to improve, but there were some kind of a condition, which is this needs to this happen, etc. And, and we were talking about. You know, we could take initiative, regardless. We can do yeah. something about it, and this is the spirit. And I, and I, and I think there are two things which happen when we when we are all like this. One is the the environment is better. The is environment yeah. is more exciting, and of course, two is there is continuous improvement. There is there are things which happen. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because. When
1: I go through this and create these stages, and there's a a diagram we could draw, but basically it's around these stages. When people move to a powerful state, it's quicker, they're more strategic, they're more innovative. They move forward, and people might say, well, give me an example. I'll give you an example um, easily uh, where have you ever had uh, work with somebody and they go, well, what do you want me to do? I mean, I sent the email. I made the call. (laughs) What do you want me to do? And, um, and so, and our response, at least in our head, and probably verbally is, well, call again, do what it takes. See, the state of being powerful is about making things happen. I just thought, but the big takeaway, I think for people that I really want to give them is that many of us think we're powerful, but we're really conditionally powerful. Just watch how many conditions. I'll give you a kind of a humorous, but interesting example. So I was uh, working, I was hired to give this speech to the top executives of this fortune 500 company. And so we did these analysis and we have a way of doing that, but whatever is finding out what the issues were. And some of the, a lot of the issues where people reported to us is leadership doesn't understand this and leadership needs to do this, et cetera. Et cetera. <laughs> so when I began, I said, well, we did the announcement. I'm puzzled. You all are saying that leadership needs to do this, but you all are the leaders. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then he started to laugh. And that's an example of conditionalism, right? We yeah. fall in this trap of excuses or whatever, and they could be legitimate reasons. It's um, powerful, recognizing, but what am I going to do about that? And um, and so, and even in our personal life, I, I, if I can give you a, a personal example to me. Um, Please. So in 2009, I got diagnosed with cancer, and it was in the middle of this great recession, as many people might remember, that hit, you know, or across, really across the world, too. Um, And so there was a lot of headwind, right, that I was suffering, right? Because in in a recession, they often take away consulting and things like that we all do, right? Um, Obviously, we know it's critical, but not everybody else recognizes that. And they'll zap, you know, they'll cut it out. And also, I was dealing with a health situation. So uh, an example would be I could, you know, what I decided to do is, all right, I can't control that I have cancer. And I can't control the recession. But I can control hundred percent focus on what am I going to do about all this? So I made sure to focus all my energy on what I was going to do about it, not divert my energy as to why this is happening and all these other reasons that are out my control of the politics. And so, um, and now I'm completely fine. Um, but it was, I retooled my business and we've had our best years ever since. And even during COVID, you know, you saw people slip into this conditional state and other states where they were, you know, I'm gonna be conditionally try to do the best. But instead of saying, what are we gonna do about it? You saw a lot of businesses thrive in this horrible situation, you know, people dying. But the idea is focus on what we can control
0: and be unconditionally powerful. Yeah. And I think the best, the best reward of this is the fulfillment we have when we are always proactive when we are always a solution finder or a creator. And uh, th- and this is, again, it, it makes the whole environment more fulfilling in a way, yeah. Yeah, and I'll give you, there's many strategies to get
1: people into a powerful state, but one of them is to make the unaware aware. And what I would encourage people is to share this distinction because what happens when I've taught this a lot to companies is they start using this language of conditionalism And they suddenly become aware of this. And making people aware automatically makes people want to be powerful. Because if you think about it, nobody says, well, I like being conditional. Oh, give me powerless. I love that. We all (laughs) want to be powerful. We just don't recognize it. And there's other strategies that we can can go through. But one of them is make the unaware aware. Another one, just to give people thinking, is intentional disruption. Intentional disruption is when people are going down the wrong path. And we're sitting there and we're frustrated, but disrupt it. An example would be if you use this question, what would you suggest? What would you suggest? It'll take any negative, complaining oriented person and refocus them. So, for example, like, well, we don't have enough resources. Well, what would you suggest? Well, you know, I can do this as long as this happens. Well, what would you suggest? Or what, what can we do moving forward? If you ask that question enough times, people will divert and start to focus on solutions, which is where you want to spend most of the energy rather than the complaint. But intentional disruption is a beautiful strategy that we can use so we're not a victim of when people are in a not a desirable state. You know, just don't sit there and get frustrated. You're in a meeting say, oh, well, there's a lot of discussion. What do we do here? How do we move
0: this forward? Does that make sense? Yes, I think, I mean, honestly, this this by itself... If like the leaders who will be listening to this, who are listening now to this, if they will take it, I think it's extremely powerful, right? Which is what would you suggest? You just you flip the script yes. in a way. You empower your people. Yes, you, you 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 give them back their power. It's like okay, you are powerful. Okay, what what do you want to do? What do you suggest to do? What in, are you willing to do? In fact, I was just doing a speech the other day. And somebody brought up
1: the frustration that they experience, where somebody will dump a problem on them. And the real problem was that how this leader was sharing is he said, one of the things I now realize is I'm, I, I just take it on myself. Like they might say, what would you suggest? And then um, and they want me to do something. And he said, so I take it on, but really they need to be doing it. So we can do a different strategy, which is intentional disruption with a reframe, not to make it overly complicated, but where you say, well, given that this is your job, I want to empower you. What needs to happen to move forward? But it's really important that we realize that a lot of what's around us is as a leader is because we created this mess or we created the success. I don't mean it's all up to us, but change starts with ourselves. So often people say, well, I wish that person would change. Well, my comeback to that is, what do we need to do to inspire that change? I wish somebody wouldn't be conditional or be powerless. Well, what do we need to do as a leader to inspire other people to be powerful? So as yes, people is- are listening, I want to encourage people to be focused on themselves and what they're going to do about it.
0: So for me, this is the second big learning of, from this conversation, which is what could we do to inspire that change in others? Uh, how, could, uh, how could we be a role model for others to take the step to, to change things as well, so uh, because again, it's I've been I've been in this place, and uh, and I I know when when things about finger pointing and and complaining and blaming, it's cancer. It's cancer for the workplace, and and the more we 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 take this out, the more the organization is healthier.
1: You know, it's a great point. In fact. Another example of like taking control of the situation is a friend of mine manages a a retail store and she was upset because in this retail store, they don't, um, a lot of her employees weren't making it top line, right? It's like, in other words, there were like, um, it it, it wasn't that the, um, the store was dirty, but it wasn't top notch where she wanted it to be. So she was always on them and it wasn't working. And I said to her, um, have you ever noticed, and this is what I often say to people, because they don't often think this way. Have you ever noticed when you're in a good mood, you're smarter? And, and what she recognized was she's creating a mood within her team of being like things aren't working and you're wrong and whatever. And that wasn't inspiring creativity. It was actually creating more of a problem. So here's what she did. She did intentional disruption and they gave her this advice and they have a daily huddle and the daily huddles about what's happening in the store, right? But she makes sure that they focus on really good things that are happening and ways to improve. But she makes sure that she injects fun. She said, so I never thought about injecting fun. But now I realize fun starts with me. So if I'm having fun, they will. And that will transfer to the customer. So, in fact, she just sent me a video of, of, of her daily huddle, an example. And it's not just rah-rah, but it's the mood. And what she's doing is creating people to be in a better mood, morale, and then they're smarter. And so what has happened is the store's turned around and gone exactly where she wants it to go. That's an example of intentional disruption, focusing on herself and making sure that people are being powerful.
0: That's another great example. Uh, how many people f- approximately she has, for example? just
1: You know, it's a good question. I don't know how many people um, sh- that works in the store. I Often, I would say probably in the neighborhood of 10, and she has like five key people that are often people, that she's okay. focused on. Yeah, but um, around 10, I think, is in the store, but I don't know if that helps. But, um, but, yeah.
0: but basically, I think this idea of having this, in that case, daily huddle, but it could be for others maybe uh, depend on the business right it could be um, weekly uh, it could be for a different reason but the, the idea of what you said now which is injecting some positive energy yeah. and, and and motivation like for these people so they go back to work they're excited and uh, and i loved how you, you were able to to change her perspective about how she's looking at the at the challenge yeah. In fact, the daily huddle, and there's a
1: way to kind of do it, which you can go through, but basically, you know, it's a 15, 20 minute, but daily huddle. I have a lot of companies that are major companies with thousands of employees and the top executives meet daily and people say, but, oh my gosh, we don't have time to do that. But what it's done is it gets alignment. They hear about issues and it builds that connection. And so, And whatever we're trying to create, because remember, as we all know, right, um, it all starts within ourselves. So often people say, well, it's the mid-level or lower level. Well, it's whoever's the leading. They set the tone of the organization. So there's all kinds of neat techniques, but whatever it takes, doing what it takes to intentionally disrupt um, the situation. Another strategy which we can get into is how to reframe. That's another strategy. Mm -hmm. But anyway.
0: Yeah. But I want to kind of stay on this, the daily huddle. Actually, I really believe in it, which is during COVID, uh, when we started working from home, I had my team. And usually we used to have one meeting a week. And then we have like meetings for different projects. But in a way, I was avoiding having daily meetings. But then during COVID, we were having everyday meeting. And I found this was the most transformational thing I've ever done as a leader. Because talking about alignment, it increased alignment massively between all of us. Two, it improved the engagement. So, and all of us, when we spoke with each other, we we got a dose of energy and motivation. Uh, And and, and our collaboration improved as well because of this. So, and and then the other one was, was also kind of fruits of this, which is we were having more kind of results or progress because we were having this on the daily. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, it reminds me of another thing,
1: which is all problems are have opportunities embedded in them. So some people, whether it was my cancer situation, recession situation, COVID situation, all problems, it's not just, you know, glass half empty. Half, well, I'm actually not talking about that. I'm talking about embedded in a problem is always an opportunity so you saw an opportunity and now as a whole we're coming out of the covid period and um and it's a great tactic and you're better because of it it reminds me of a client of mine that they um they seized this to develop engagement right because obviously people are all you know working remote so what they did is they they did a lot of interesting things to increase engagement and they've now kept those strategies and the, he said to me the workforce is more engaged than they ever have been ever before. So he saw that they're trying to fix a problem of engagement, but he saw an opportunity. And so what they've done is they've created um, some some games uh, just to inspire people to come on and then they turn it into um, lessons and what needs to get covered. They've done a lot of interesting things bite-sized videos. They've used my videos. They've used other people's as well. They use a lot of different content. But what they've done is they created, they looked at the opportunity. And now that's the key is they're more engaged than ever
0: before. Yeah, that's, a, that's another great example. Reframing. Let's talk a little bit about it. I'm curious. I love it. So every problem has a frame, right? Or
1: everything. So when somebody's in a powerless or conditional state, you can say, oh, be powerful. But they're like, okay, what does that mean? So, and it, so the way to get people to move into a powerful state is if you know what that state is around the issue, is to reframe it so it's powerful. So there are three types of reframes. The first type is to reduce the frame. So if you think about it, when people feel powerless or conditional, the problem can be insurmountable. But reducing the frame would say, look, there's obviously a lot of challenges here. But what I want us to focus on is this. And so you take a complex problem and you simplify it. And so this may sound kind of simple to people, but just check yourself how many data reports, process reports um, key performance indicators does a company have? And often they're way too many. So it's not reducing the frame. Reducing the frame would say, look, what's the most important thing for us to focus on? So here's an example. I do a lot of work around change management and leading through change. And I found out that after all these years, there's only four things that people need to remember around leading through change, which we can get into. But the point that I'm trying to make is I've taken a very tough problem. How do you lead through change, transformation? And I said, look, you only need to focus on these four things. Um, And all these companies are now focusing on that. But the, the point being is whatever the problem is, to reduce it into a few key things, that would be reducing the frame. There's two other types of reframes I can get into, but anyway, how, how's this sounding with the reducing? No, I, I think is, this is great. So I, I want to kind of go for the other ones. The other two. Okay. Yeah. So the second type is to enlarge the frame. Enlarging the frame is when you have a problem and people are down and let's say really all-encompassing. So you could reduce it. That's one strategy. But another strategy would put it, enlarge it. In other words, put it in a bigger context. An example would be, Let's say you lose a big contract or a customer. And it's there's a lot of lessons in there, right? We want to search for the gold. But let's say people are down. And remember, when we're in a good mood, we're smarter. So if they're down, they're not going to be as productive. So what I might do or what I've coached people to do is you have an honest conversation and say, wow, this is problematic and we have a problem with this. In the big scheme of things, let's talk about all the things that are going right to put this in a fairer context, right? So let's say you're working with a company and um, there's been a problem on a, on a contract. You haven't lost it, but it's a pro- you might want to then put it in a larger frame, which would inspire people, right? And so uh, how do you, so enlarging the frame. The third type of reframe, and I'm going through this fast, but there's a lot of examples we can back into, is to change the frame. Changing the frame is where do I want the frame to be? And you create a new reality. Here's an example. So I hired a company to do an IT project and they, it was taking months. So I remember it was July of 2020. And I said to them, well, when are you going to get this done? And they said, by November. I was thinking, November, this is not complicated. So I was thinking, right? And so what would be typical is to say, well, how do we get it done in a shorter period of time? And And it would be contentious. So I decided to reframe it totally. I said, given that I would like this done in a month, what would need to happen? I didn't say it had to, but I'd say, given that I would like it done in a month, what would need to happen? I'll credit the company. They came back with a list of things that on, on how it could be done very quickly, all of which I could agree to interesting enough. And, uh, and it was done within six weeks. So instead of, you know, and I could say, Oh, it's about, you know, um, well the company I was like, no, it's how I framed it. Right. And I framed it in an inspiring doable way. Cause you could say, well, why didn't they suggest these things? Well, I didn't really, wasn't clear on the deadline. Hadn't reframed it in a more powerful way being un uh, being not powerful would have been, you got to get this done quicker. You know, how's we, you know, how do we shorten this up, which would bring them down, but Hey, uh, what would need to happen for this to get done in a month? So what can people do? Use the prepositional phrase, given that I ideally would like this done, or given that I would like us to double our growth, or given that I would like us to um, you know, increase our profitability by 30%, what would need to happen? And people say, it can't be done. We'll say, well, given that I ideally would like it done, let's play at this. Um, what if it could? Let's pretend. Let's explore this. Anyway, is this helpful?
0: Yes, very helpful. I think um, there is something there which I, I'm curious about. For sure, to be able to do that, you need to be in a good place and to be mastering your emotions in a way and your energy. So, and and I I mean, listening to you and knowing that you've been practicing this for a long time, I'm sure that you are in, in that place. I mean, we all have have our own yeah. challenges sometime, but overall. So but what is it for the for any leader to be able to be in that space? So they can don't get don't caught in reaction. It's like yes. for example again, because they could react. They say like are are you serious? Six months for for something like this?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, so here's the way to look at it. As a leader, remember, all change starts with ourselves and being powerful right. starts with ourselves. So we've got to check ourselves see, Am I going to be in a powerful state? And if I'm in a powerful state, how do I get others to be that way? So it is about managing our emotions and channeling it in a way that is productive. For example, have you ever worked with somebody that has the ability to just make, it, to make things negative, no matter how positive, right? You win something and go, yeah, but, you know, we're still down by this. Or my favorite is when you ever had somebody go, well, it's, it's a Friday. And they go, yeah, but it's only three days till a Monday. And you're like, <laughs> gosh, right? So some people can be that way. And so what we need to do as leaders, which is really critical, is what is our mood and are we powerful? And then think, how do I reframe this? And reframing isn't trickery. All of those things I said, reducing, expanding and changing, were authentic ones. I did want it done in a month. And, I, and you know and so all of these things are not tricks. In fact, when I teach this to companies, they use these strategies on each other, and it helps. In fact, when I'm feeling conditional or powerless, and we all can be there sometimes, I love it when people use it on me, intentional disruption. (laughs) What do you want to do about that, right? Or, hey, have you thought about this? So it is really thinking, how do I inspire them, and how do I think things? So whether it's my friend with the retail store, right, she wanted to intentionally disrupt and reframe it that this store is about having fun, doing a great job, and making sure that when our customers come in, they're having fun, and it's an enjoyable experience, right? So she took control, and that's what I'm talking about. So all of us can do this. The thing is, it's what my experience is, that people aren't often aware what they're doing. And so often when I've taught this, what the big aha for people is they've realized, I can be conditional and powerless. I didn't even recognize it. So of course, I'm creating that around me. if I'm powerful it inspires other people to be powerful. That's so great
0: um, there is one example which I read from Steve about Steve Jobs which is somehow uh, similar to the example you gave but in that sense I, what I always thought about it is he changed the meaning of the of the problem in a way so in yeah. that case it was it was a time the computer takes to start and uh i i kind of i still remember like somehow part of the story but basically the the, the, the engineer said look it will take a, basically it was like maybe one minute to start or something like that he said like look i mean we need to reduce this and he said like no it's not possible he said okay if you save 500 lives could you find a way to reduce it to 15 seconds he said like how can i save 500 and he said And he put like a calculator. Again, I'm I'm making up the numbers, but, and he multiplied the number of seconds by the number of people who use it. And, and, and then, and then they found a way. Yeah. To reduce it to that time.
1: Yeah. There's another strategy in the book around how to motivate others and what motivates people. And so, and what I love about that story, what you're sharing, is it really, when people want something bad enough, they can change it. You know, off, there's, I, there's another, Portion of a, 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 a talk I do is around change. Or we're talking about leading through change, but I start off with myths of change. And one of the myths of change is change takes time, and it's just not true. We can change and do a lot of things if we really want it bad enough. So that example is a great example. Is well, if we really see the the cost, if we don't take action and the benefit and whatnot, and it, it and we really want it, we'll figure out a way. And a great example of that was during COVID when so m- many companies overnight virtually figured out how to work remotely. If you had asked a lot of those CEOs and executives, can you make a workforce turn remote? They'd be like, oh, we need focus groups gonna take us time. People did it virtually overnight. It proves something that people can really change if they want to. So when somebody says, well, you gotta give me time. You wanna ask yourself, am I allowing them to be conditional excuses? What, What is taking time? What would need to happen? How do you make that happen? Um, and, and, and have them realize how important it is to make that move. Does that make sense? So it's really yes, around absolutely. is not allowing as leaders for people to develop these excuses around that change takes times. The reality is change can happen almost instantly or at least starting if people really want to. So it begs the question, do they really want to change?
0: That's that's a great, uh, and um, so for me is I want uh, we are we are moving towards the end here, but I first of all actually I really wanted that we continue because there are a lot of very practical strategies that every leader could use, and uh, I mean of course your work is more with senior executive, but you do some work also with mid mid level management etc. But this actually every every type of leader or every seniority level they could use this and even non leaders could use this to make, to to empower themselves. So, and that's why it made me like uh, we maybe we need to continue this at another, another time, but what would be some parting advice you would give leaders to create a high performing workplace an engaging and inspiring workplace? So one thing I want to say is reframe how
1: people look at leadership. Because it all, how they even use what we talked about. Leadership is a is is a state of mind. It's not a position. So people often think I got to be in a state of mind, or excuse me, in a position. But the truth is, we lead up, we lead down, and we lead across. Leadership isn't one of these top down things. So you can, if your boss or someone is being conditional, you can use these strategies to reframe and intentionally disrupt and make the underwear wear and. What is how do you have your boss be different, your coworkers, your peers, all of that aspect, because it really is the way we think about it, not so much a position. And so I want to have people look at this differently. The other thing is I I do a lot of this work with very small companies as well, because we can do the and it's done and change things dramatically by how they look at it. So it's really change starts with ourselves. But the parting words I want to give them. Is when it's all said and done, remember it all starts with getting that unsaid said. Create a, an emotional, safe environment and reward honesty because it's not only important for people to share it, but then you gotta do something with it, with that feedback and move out with that. And if they need any help or whatever, they can always give me a call. And it, actually, and if they mention this and they send um, your show, they mention your show and they send us an email we'll send them a book I wrote about how to have really challenging conversations that can really help make a difference with their team. Steven, for free, we'll send that for free. Yeah,
0: this is, this has been amazing. I think uh, I, I feel enriched from this conversation. The work you are doing is very aligned with the mission of, of this podcast, which is creating a more empowering, engaging and inspiring workplace and high performing workplace. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Thank you. And to all our uh, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Like always, stay inspired and make the biggest impact you could make, not only within your area of responsibility, but beyond it. Bye. (laughs)